It's time for JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. This is how you do radio in a professional sports town, and this hasn't been a professional sports town. It was just UNLV basketball for how many decades? Now you got the Raiders, and you got the Golden Knights. It's big boy radio. JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? My radio show's a little bit more intense. It gets a little bit more crazy. It gets a little bit more emotional. It's Big Boy Radio. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the show. JT in Vegas here all throughout the Raider Nation on Raider Nation 920 AM and the Raiders mobile app where you can download that show anywhere in the world like Crusader Raider does. He does it in London every day and a lot of our listeners all over the country. We appreciate being here every day with you as we're brought to you by Grimaldi's Best Pizza I Ever Had. Five locations here in the Valley, home of the $50 gift card. Grimaldi's, my kids coming home from college, they eat me out of house and home, but they can eat me out of house and home with Grimaldi's as we're set to go here. What a weekend it was. The upset on Saturday, Rich Strike wins the Derby. Canelo loses. We talked about that at length. But we're focusing on the Raiders here in the offseason and what they're dealing with. Vinny Bonsignor wrote a great cover story today. Cornerback may be attractive to the Raiders. The Raiders could have the inside track of former giant James Bradbury. He hit the open market. Raiders have an interest in signing the former Pro Bowler player. You would think so. He played for Patrick Graham. Would it be a good player? We'll see what happens. He would be an instant starter. Trayvon Mullen, one of the Raiders, presumed starting perimeter corners, underwent minor surgery last week, so something that we'll keep an eye on. I'm proud to be associated with the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame for the first time I went years ago, well over a decade ago, to this induction. It's the best sports hall of fame that I've seen run around the country, and I go to a lot of these events. We get a chance, we get first shot to talk to all the inductees as they're getting in, and we start off with Larry Brown. One of the more recognized individuals in town, 24 years in local politics, first as a Las Vegas City Councilman, 97 to 2008, then a Clark County Commissioner, 2009 to 2020, minor league baseball pitcher, and Larry, I welcome you in because I've been to a lot of the parks in this town where my kids play ball out, and you had a lot to do with it. Congratulations, and thanks for joining us. How are you? Thank you, JT. How's, How's the golf game? Golf game's getting a little bit better, thank God. A little working out the driver and technology. Larry, it's amazing. I got the new sim driver, so the ball's going about 10 or 13 yards longer so I don't have to hit that three or four iron from the fairway. You know what I'm saying? I haven't used the three or four iron in about 20 years. You're right. (laughs) Hey, let's begin with your amazing life raised in Boston, but getting into Harvard and your athletic prowess in Harvard when you got your bachelor's degree – how did that transition come from high school, and did you dream as a young boy to go to Harvard? How'd that come about? No, actually, uh, true story. Uh, my family, my older sister, older brother, dad, uncle, two aunts, grandfather, were all Boston College people. I was uh, I could sing the BC fight song when I was five years old, but uh, long story short, I went over there my senior year recruiting. Uh, to BC for football and baseball. And again, uh, I was a late bloomer. I probably weighed 165 pounds my senior year. And BC was going big time football and kind of didn't show a lot of interest. So this guy across the river, the baseball coach there was calling me every other week. And sure enough, ended up at Harvard. True story. 
incredible stories. So you come in as a football player and a baseball player. I talk to a lot of athletes, a lot of former Hall of Famers in Canton, Ohio, or in baseball's Hall of Fame that had to make that big decision. You got a chance to play both. What was that decision like, the pressure, especially the academic pressure, to be at Harvard and get a degree and play multiple sports? Yeah, that was uh, probably the biggest challenge of my life. But, JT, let's let's uh, get back to that time and place where when we were growing up, you played at least three sports, and then during the summer you'd make up games to play. So moving on from high school to college, uh, it, it was almost like giving up two sports to concentrate on one sport wasn't even in the thought process. Now, when I got there, uh, certainly – the academic competition was probably a, a lot more difficult than the athletic competition, but it worked out well. I was, I was blessed growing up with uh, some, some parents that taught me time management and priorities and worked out well. Claimed to fame at Harvard, uh, uh, never got a D and got my first <laughs> A my senior year spring semester. So it all worked out well. Larry Brown is our guest inducted into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame coming up here. We get an opportunity to talk about him. It's a high honor for me. So let's move into your minor league pitching career and what your goals were and what you had and the impact that you had as you came in. Also played for the Las Vegas Stars, 83 to 84, and a lot of great baseball players came through that organization. What was that experience like for you? Oh, when we when we came in '83, when they opened up Cashman Field, Rossi Rollin Cotter, and all all those guys, um, it was a dream come true. You know, playing minor league baseball, your goal was always get to the big leagues. But if you were going to play a Triple A, Vegas at the time was the place to play. And you know, Bochy was our catcher. We had Kevin McReynolds, Andy Hawkins, John Cruck came, Ozzie Guillen the next year. We had some fabulous players those first few years, and. It was wonderful. The town absolutely embraced uh, the Las Vegas Stars as well as the players. And uh, it was just a great, great atmosphere. Uh, fell, obviously, fell in love with the city. I uh, was married in the off season, And when we came back in 84, uh, after the season ended, my wife and I had an extended honeymoon that's uh, going on its 40th year. So Vegas has been very good to us and our family and uh, wouldn't have changed anything for the world. Larry Brown is our guest. So, Larry, uh, you've done really well in your life, but in the private sector, you could have jumped into the private sector, but you chose to be a public servant and do an unbelievable job and build a legacy in your life. What was that decision like for you for public service and everything that you've been able to do for our city and county? We're all better off for it. Uh, and thank you, JT. I appreciate that. Um, when I got into politics, I learned pretty quickly to become best buddies with the director of finance. And as soon as I learned where the money came into government and how it left government, uh, I, I discovered quickly the ability to uh, build some parks and some trails and some community centers, uh, which at the time, uh, we lived in the Northwest, always have. And I was when the kids got to youth uh, soccer and youth baseball, we were driving 45 minutes without a beltway uh, to uh -huh. practice for an hour out in Henderson. And I, I really felt the need to, uh, especially in the northwest part of the city where there was a lot of open space, uh, just to create some opportunities. Um, and we, I think it was with the Betty Wilson Soccer Complex, 
JT, it was a big public policy shift, whereas up until that point, most of your city and county parks were cookie cutter. You know, there'd be a, a, a little soccer field, a little baseball field, a dog park, a swing set, a couple picnic benches and gazebos. And, and we, we went a completely different direction. We started building one or two sport complexes with multi-fields, like Betty Wilson Soccer and Kellogg's Air, the Darling Tennis Center, Majestic Softball Complex. These were what we now call mega facilities uh-huh. dedicated to one sport, and it, it just it caught on like, like wildfire, not only in the city but the county and Henderson. Uh, they all really, really shifted to building bigger facilities, which – any parent knows it's always nice to know where you're going consistently, what time, practice space, all that good stuff. So I think the, um, again, growing up in a very, very small town, there was a playground in every neighborhood. Right. And you, that's where your life revolved around is open space and interaction and sports and uh, making up games. I don't know how many you probably have made up a dozen games in your life when you were growing up. It was, it was great. And, and I was fortunate enough because at the time the city and then at the County, there was money, there was money for public space and public parks and community centers. And now we look around and I'll tell you what, as far as the metropolitan area, Las Vegas has created some of the greatest recreational opportunities, not only for our youth, but attracting teams all over the country and all over the world now to come into our valley. Larry Brown is our guest, newest inductee into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. Following a six-year minor league career as a pitcher, he became a dedicated public servant and is credited for changing the way sports facilities are designed in Southern Nevada. And I want to stay with that because I grew up with a dad who worked hard and worked in New York City and came home and then coached and coached me and everyone in my community. And he's known for that. But we always had a park to go to. And I'm just thinking about it as I'm interviewing you. When I got in the car with my dad and I'd have the Little League bag, when we go somewhere, there was the park, and I spent my whole entire youth there. And a lot of our audience, Larry, doesn't understand the politics, the money, what has to happen as a politician, shaking hands, kissing babies to get deals done so kids could have their ultimate life growing up on the fields and at these soccer parks. Doc Romeo is where I spent years of my life with both my kids in Little League here. But you're the guy, along with the help of others, that made that happen. Is it more complex now to do that today because of the price of real estate and the limited real estate now in the Valley? Well, to a certain extent, yes. But we're fortunate in Southern Nevada. Uh, most of the open space, and, and when I was in office, and especially in the Northwest, was federal land. It was Bureau of Land Management. And if you were going to put a public purpose on that, it was cheap. It was like a $100 permit. Whereas if it was private, absolutely, it would be into the millions. So we still have that opportunity. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of good stuff happening now on BLM land. But uh, no question, the, the environment of being able to tap into that BLM inventory allowed us to do uh, so many, so many great projects. And JT, you brought up something I absolutely want to emphasize. Although my upbringing and my love of sports and the outdoors and and games and competition, uh, I couldn't have accomplished it without some unbelievable 
staff people at the city and the county, fellow electeds. Uh, I'm not sure if they all get along as well as we used to, but uh, it was a group effort. And again, now I look back in some of these facilities. You mentioned Doc Romeo. We built, uh, we had to expand the detention basin because of the big flood in like 2000. Uh, and in expanding that, we said, hey, why don't we build mixed use? You know, when it floods, the water will be controlled. But when it's not, you know, 360 days a year, uh, we built Doc Romeo. And that's just a great, great facility. And a great example, again, BLM land didn't cost us much. Uh, the challenge today is open space and parks and recreation centers. They're not generating money. Uh, parks mm-hmm. don't make money for the city or the county. And that's always a challenge, especially in tough times. But I refused, and many of my colleagues refused, to let parks and open space get kicked off the plate during the budget cycle because it, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You drive by uh, a Betty Wilson or a Kellogg's there or during nights, and you'll see thousands of kids yeah. and families just enjoying themselves. Larry Brown, the newest inductee into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. So finally, Larry, I know you've been to these inductions before. What does it mean to you and your family that you're going to be inducted and you're going to be the latest Hall of Famer? JT, I can't express in words how special it is. I mean that sincerely. When you look at the people involved, that board of trustees, Jim, the executive director, uh, it, it truly is an honor and a privilege to be associated with these folks and what they do in our community without a lot of fanfare uh, is just, it's remarkable. And that's what makes Vegas so special, especially in, in our world of sports. Love it. Well, Larry, I'll tell you, you're my favorite Harvard quarterback now of all time, and Steve Stallworth is my favorite UNLV quarterback of all time. So we have to get together and celebrate this great honor, not only at the induction, but out and have a couple of beverages, play some golf, and get together and celebrate this. Well, Hey, JT, we'll put on Springsteen's glory days, and we'll start <laughs> reminiscing. See you soon, Larry. Thanks for making time. Congratulations again. Thank you, JT. You got it. Larry Brown, uh, latest and the first gentleman we'll talk to. We have a bunch of new inductees, male and female, that we'll be talking about here. And thanks again to the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame for including me with this. So we have stories like this. Larry Brown's really important. We're talking about a city councilman for a long time and the Clark County Commissioner for 11 years, 12 years. Powerful name here in the Valley. And how cool is that to have a legacy? As Larry said at the end, because we're just putting people on the radio for you to get to know them. When you drive by a park and there's a thousand kids over the weekend playing in a tournament, baseball, soccer, whatever it is, and you had something to do with that. It really brought me back to my youth in my community, the elementary school, the parks, and what it meant. And you you would just go to the games and you assumed that the field was there. Why? Well, someone had to put that deal together. Someone had to broker the land, put it together, figure out a way to get back to the community. And Larry's at the top of the list here in town. He is a influencer in a big way. And uh, look forward to seeing him there that night as we'll continue to put on the newest members of the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. We'll continue to tell you how to buy tickets. I'm saying this. I'm emceeing Mike Ditka's event uh, a week from Friday. I'm emceeing Fred Bolitnikoff's Hall of Fame event this Sunday and Monday. This Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame event is big time. When I go in, if it's Dana White getting inducted, 
you know, Mike Tyson, whoever it is, Mike Pritchard, great friend of the show, Greg Maddox, all the big-time celebrities that you know, and then there's individuals that might not be known nationally, but the impact that they've had in Southern Nevada. Great to know, and the Dollar Loan Center in their new location, very happy for them. So hope you enjoyed that as we learn more and more about this community and what's happening here. 702-365-9200. I got to get out because one of my favorite guests is coming up next, Olden Polonies. 15-year NBA big man. On what happened, what's going on? Hey, I'd be nervous if you're a Phoenix Suns fan. And how about that Celtics win in Milwaukee? Coming back from the dead, Al Horford has has the greatest game of his career in the playoffs. And now Giannis is in trouble. This is the flagship of the silver and black. You know, it was just one of those plays that uh, I got the pass, he closed out. I've been shooting that a lot, and, you know, I just figured that I'd just drive it, and I, I drove, um, you know, took it in. Big play, obviously, you know, very emotional, and I think it really, for our group, I think it really, you know, got us, got us going even more at that point. That's Al Horford of the Celtics. What a game he had last night. Incredible game. Just unbelievable the way he played and put the team on his back. You know, everybody, I love in sports when a player takes over a game. It could happen in football, soccer, whatever it is. When someone takes over a game, Al Horford took over a game last night, which was incredible because he's on the back end of his career, and he led his team to a critical win. Olden Polonese, kind enough to join us, the great basketball analyst. 15 years the big man in the NBA with multiple teams, and he's kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. And Olden, as you just heard, Horford, how does Giannis on his home court blow a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter and get blown out the rest of the way? I didn't see that coming. How did you see that come about? Uh, Well, it's the playoffs, so you got to expect everything and see everything coming. And it's unfortunate because, the star of the game was Al Horford, who no one saw that coming, but you got to expect it because he's a veteran. He has over 130-plus games under his belt of playoff experience. So it's it's a situation where I don't think the Bucks really took them seriously enough. And even when they had the lead, you know, they just kept leaving him wide open. I mean, I think he's proven he can knock that shot down. So it was just bad coaching, bad playing, and bad adjustments by the Bucks. Yeah, it was. I just, you know, timeouts and Budenholz are watching this happen, couldn't stop the momentum. And, yeah, you played a long time in the league. You know when you at the end of your career or near the end of your career have one of those nights. Horford had the greatest postseason night of his career and I noticed him. He's probably the player that in the regular season, he didn't shut it down. He always plays hard. But he peaked and treated his body old and correctly. So now he's got a tremendous amount of energy, and he's got a lot in the tank in the playoffs. What's it like to conserve that energy, deal with those minutes, having the extra time off in the playoffs? Well, it's, it's very beneficial. And you're right. Al Hoff is a guy that definitely takes care of his body. He's a good guy. He's not going to go out there and do stupid stuff like some people 
you know, like a Harden who parties all the time and he's younger than him. <laughs> so Harden, he was ready to play, and he's always been ready to play. So to me, the pickup or the return of uh, Al Horford to the Celtics proved very beneficial because he was the starter game, and this may turn this series around. Olden Polonese is our guest. Olden, what is it like to be in a locker room after a loss like that on your home court where you could go up three to one and you look around and say, that just happened. Now I got to shower, get on a plane, or get ready to travel the next day. You got to deal with this. What is that like? And who in the locker room do you look to or to the leaders and the coach to build you back up again over the next 24 to 48 hours? Listen, I'll be honest with you. It's not going to be one of those situations where they, you know, they're throwing out the the fake, uh, you know, where, you know, we we let one get away. Mentally, guys are going to seriously, and, and internally, they're going to be putting blame on some folks, you know. Uh, you know, they're going to be looking around. It's like, why is this guy shooting three-pointers when they can't stop him, you know, going to the basket, you know, a la Giannis. Because Giannis right now relying on or shooting three-pointers is detrimental to the Milwaukee Bucks. And – the organization, the coaching staff, somebody's going to have to be the, the adult in the room and say, hey, you need to ease up on that. They are allowing him to do it because he's Giannis. And granted, you know, he's a great player, but he's not a great three-point shooter. And, you know, he, he, he took a couple of questionable three-pointers at the wrong time. And to me, you're not the guy to come down and pull up for three. I'm sorry. I don't care how open you are. Olden Bolognese is our guest. Olden, what have you seen in Chris Paul with the foul trouble? Really surprised by that. All the chirping and what's happening in that series. They're up 2 nothing. The last thing they want to have is Chris Paul playing a 6-7 game series. They want to save his legs for a much deeper run in the postseason. Do you think Phoenix is in trouble or the home court and they'll bounce back and Chris Paul will get going again? Well, I believe they'll bounce back because they're going back home and it's not so much Chris Paul playing well, it's their reserves, the younger guys. They'll play better at home because they're going to be in their comfort zone. And I think that's what this team needs because when Chris got in foul trouble and ultimately fouled out, you know, I thought those other guys should have stepped up, you know, and carry him a little bit. And they didn't because they were on the road. So I don't, I honestly don't think Dallas can beat them in Phoenix, but, you know, stranger things have happened. They do have to win one on the road. So if they can't do that, then obviously they're not going to win the series. But the fact that they stretch Phoenix or can stretch Phoenix to six and seven games, that's going to be the issue for the Suns. Olden, I'm just fascinated when I see there's always a story. Chris Paul was really upset that his mom was at the game and kids and a young fan put their hands on him, and the fan really didn't get reprimanded. They can't come back into the building to 2023. Who cares about that? That's a slap on the wrist. You and I have talked about that, fan interaction, and a lot of times I'm not familiar with a player taking his mom and family on the road into a hostile environment, and you can and you're allowed to do that. But just that circumstance there in Dallas really got Chris Paul and the entire Suns team really on edge going forward. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough situation. You know, I never did that when I when I played because I knew, you know, there's interesting people out there. You know, they're more fanatics than fans. And so you have to take that into account. But this is the new era we're in, this new generation. Everybody, you know, they're doing things differently. But 
the fanatics are still fanatics. There's going to be stupid people out there. You know, we've seen in the Minnesota series and some other series where people are running on the court and everything else. So, you know, it's just, it's just really bothersome to see that. And Chris Paul made the point, like the players can't say anything to fans, but yet fans can say something because, and he has to understand whether they know that's your family or not, they're in the stands as fans. So it's going to be fan interaction. It just happened to be Chris Paul's family. It's unfortunate. I don't know what the NBA can do about it. You know, maybe just, you know, put your family in the front row. I don't know. Put them in a luxury suite. But it's like there's solutions. But as far as, like, with the fans, like, anything happening past that, I honestly can't tell you. It's just, you know, those are the chances you're going to take you know, when you sit amongst everybody else. Olden Polonese, as we wrap it up, I was on the right side of Jokic getting the MVP because he's the first player in the league with 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500 assists. It's an individual award from the regular season, and no one's ever put up those numbers. Elijah Wan, Moses, the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, whoever it is. So if he's the first ever to do it, that's kind of a drop the mic thing, even though Embiid thought he should have won. How'd you see the MVP? Everybody thinks they should win. Embiid thinks he should win. Giannis <laughs> thinks he should win. Uh, Booker. Listen, this is a popularity contest. You know, at the moment, it's who do I like? Who, do, who am I going to give my vote to? Should have Embiid won it? Of course. Should Joker have won it? Of course. Giannis. I can go on and on. We've had MVPs. Wes Unsell won it averaging 13 points, you know, but he did average 20 mm-hmm, points. You know, Bill Russell averaged 14 points. Steve Nash won averaging 15 points. So it's not about stats so much. It's the fact that, hey, this is the guy and these, you know, the media votes, and that's it. I'm not tripping. I don't care who wins mm-hmm. it because until we get a clear-cut criteria – of what it is that we're voting on, we're always going to have this. There's always going to be disagreement. So take it for what it is. So it's like one, two, three, the top three guys, either one of them could have won it. I would have been fine with it, but other people aren't. (laughs) Olden, finally last one, and it's an important question I've been dying to ask you since I last talked to you. I think there's more chirping going around in this league to the referees than I've ever seen before, especially now with the monitor. As the refs go to the monitor and the players walk over to the monitor and they're talking in their ears, and the refs, I think they're being very generous and not teeing guys up for talking. Take me back to your era and what you see now, because I remember back in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, if you kept John at a ref, they teed you up. And now it doesn't seem like they tee them up. I just see the flagrant ones and flagrant twos, but I'm not seeing the language getting to these guys where they're getting thrown out of games. Well, yeah, again, it's the, the new era. We, the referees back then had a very short leash on whether, you know, what they were allowing. It was real quick technicals, quick whistles. And I think they've kind of relaxed that. So guys tend to jaw at the referees a lot more, which I – I've always said, doesn't help your case. I've never seen a referee change a call. Uh, you know, up until this, the replay thing, the referees weren't changing calls. They made the calls and you just had to live with it. So it's like, why argue a call with a referee? And now guys are like going back and forth with them, trying to, 
you know, maybe they're going to, like, get them to change their minds. It's not even up to the referees once they go to the monitor anyway. And so, to me, yeah. you guys are wasting your time. Play basketball, but, you know, that's easier said than done for a lot of people to just play basketball. But I would like to see less chirping and more playing. Yeah, same here. I think the chirping is at an all-time high. Olden, always appreciate your time. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, my buddy. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks, Olden. Olden Polonese, 15 years in the league, always opinionated. Interesting show today. I'm texting back with Max Crosby, Brent Musburger, texting in, up with his grandkids in Montana. We got a streaming audience, everybody, on that Raiders mobile app. Really appreciate the guys who are able to listen to the show on the road or comment during the show as we're moving into the Raiders offseason before vacation time in June where the NFL shuts it down for a little bit and then the focus is Cliff Branch and Canton, Ohio in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How many Raider fans are going on that trip? Because you should have your plane ticket by now, your hotel rooms. You should be looking at that. Thursday, the schedule comes out. There's going to be some leakage. There's going to be some leaking of the schedule coming out. And we'll see what happens if the Raiders are one of the teams that's leaked for a Monday night game or what's going to happen on Sunday night. We know the Amazon Prime game was leaked. Week two, a big one. Kansas City and the Chargers. Uh, What's happening on Thanksgiving? And all these other games that have already been announced in London and in Germany. There's a German game uh, this year. A lot of games in Raider Nation. Now, I I know this from talking to Raider fans in the Bay Area. Raider fans in the Bay Area, we need you at the Niner game. We need the Raider Nation inside that game at Allegiant and not as many Niner fans. They're coming. And the Patriot fans, they're coming too. Just like Raider fans know that in L.A., Raider fans are going to take over SoFi against the Rams. There'll be more Raider fans than Ram fans. I guarantee it. And it'll be two-thirds Raider fans against the Chargers in L.A. It shouldn't be against the Rams. Rams are the world champs. They should have more fans than Raider fans. Won't be the case. And we saw last year when the Philly fans came, the Bears fans came, the Washington fans came. And I understand why. Who, who wants to go to Vegas? And everybody who comes to see a road team play here has money to buy your tickets. But it's something that's got to kind of change a bit. Again, a lot of people don't care about it. I care about it. But I don't go nuts over it anymore. I've got enough things on my plate to worry about than, you know, three Niner fans sitting in front of my wife at the game there. If someone's going to be stupid enough to sell their tickets to a Niner fan by putting it up on StubHub, we can't help those people. They're not real Raider fans. But if the Raider fans hold on to their tickets and the Raiders have a big year this year, it's going to be a lot of fun. Coming up next, one of my favorite guests, the sports professor, Rick Harrow, the visiting professor at Harvard. He's got a lot to say about Vegas. He was at the draft, rave reviews. He was just in Miami at F1. F1's coming here in November of next year. NHL TV ratings are up, NBA ratings. A good business conversation coming up next on the flagship of the Raiders, brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence with a Remy Martin cocktail. It's most definitely a dream. Um, you know, I think, you know, having an opportunity to, to represent, you know, uh, this team, uh, to be a part of this locker room. I've always been a fan of the, the way 
Saints play football, and uh, just to have that opportunity means a lot to me. And you know, more than anything, I just want to you know take advantage of it and make the most of it. So, Honey Badger in New Orleans, going home. Tyron Matthew, get him out of the AFC West. JT, back with you, Raider Nation Radio. Always a pleasure to welcome in one of my favorite and longest-term guests on the show, the sports business consultant, the analyst, the Harvard Law School visiting expert, my friend, Rick Haro. And, Professor, can't wait to talk to you. I've seen you a bunch, and I know you're giving Vegas high regards for the way they pulled off the draft. That was unbelievable. But what is even more unbelievable is the way you define trades and franchise player moves in the NFL is everybody got to get out of the AFC West for your Raiders? That, that that's a that's a pretty pretty interesting standard. But uh, you know, you, everybody understands where your allegiance is. And and uh, if, by the way, if I were if I were uh, the Raiders, I I would want the Honey Badger out of my division. As well. So well well done. And let me let's talk about the draft. And initially, when the footprint came out to put it behind the link, I said, well, "Wait a second! I've lived out here since 19." 19- is that the best location we can find? And then the Bellagio Fountains for introductions, the link, how everybody was able to get in and out of there, the concert pavilion, the draft pavilion. I thought it was a home run. I know I'm biased. You know I'm pro-Vegas. But what was the global response to what you saw in Vegas? Uh, your home run was uh, was validated. Uh, there were a lot of opportunities to have gridlock. And uh, thankfully, the event planners, you guys and the city, plan events better than anybody alive decided to use the strip and and you know vegas boulevard and and the bellagio as you said and and the mirage up the street you know all of that really really adds to the ambiance and the press conferences in that park uh right there uh, it, it's it's a uh, it was a, an incredible event and i took the time as you noted to spend some time with uh with george mcphee and the 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 perspective of the knights and uh, Doug Logan, the perspective of the aviators, uh, and obviously the Raiders, everybody is kind of in it to win it together. The no, there's we, I didn't hear any talk from any of the big entities in Vegas about competition because they feel there is enough capacity to go around, and Vegas made an amazing and incredible statement. Uh, Rick Harrow, the sports professor, joins us. Wow, F1, the explosion of F1. But you've known about this decades ago, and you've been telling me about it. But what we just saw at Hard Rock Stadium in South Florida, it's coming to Vegas in November of 2023, and how big it is around the world. Is it really that Netflix documentary that got more and more people watching now? Because everyone, men and women, kids are watching it, and it seems to be such a big event now, bigger than it's ever been on the weekends they broadcast it. Bigger than any economic impact you'll see. We haven't seen the numbers yet, but when the numbers come out in Miami and South Florida, Lauderdale, Palm Beach, it'll be astronomical. And, uh, you know, note to Vegas listeners to your show, uh, get a get a knapsack and line up on Vegas Boulevard right now. <laughs> you can't be too early. It's only, what, a year and a half away. Uh, the idea of Montreal, uh, Rio, uh, Buenos Aires, obviously Miami is an international destination in Vegas. And Austin, you know, it's uh, it's gone from a – thought of of an event that other people have in other states and excuse me countries to now within next year we will have more formula one races than any other country in the world which is incredible when you think of austin vegas and miami overnight 
Uh, should NASCAR be concerned? I'm a NASCAR guy more than Formula One, but I'll get behind Formula One for the party, the atmosphere, everything behind it. But what is going on here? Because if I'm NASCAR, I'm a little bit concerned of the coverage that I'm seeing for F1. And are there two different demographic bases? Explain that to me. Yeah, I think there are two different demographics and fan bases generally. There is always overlap, just like there's overlap with the IndyCar and Indy 500. You know, May is Indy racing. It's not just Formula One here in the United States. So they should be concerned, too. But, you know, the, the, the number of races in the U.S. for Formula One will be three. number of NASCAR races will be in the 30s. So it's not the actual number of races, but you're absolutely correct. It's the coverage, it's the awareness, and it's the, you know, what do I do to be cool? Do I watch a NASCAR race or do I watch a Formula One race? Well, we'll have to see. Rick Harrell, the sports professor. All right, the breaking news earlier today on Tom Brady, massive. I mean, breaking the Internet, $375 million. This isn't a Fox Sports 1 deal. Uh, this isn't an Internet deal. This is Big Fox and the Murdochs. I can't imagine what this negotiation has been about behind the scenes. You're about as connected as any guy in sports business. They had to be working on this for a while. He retires the rumors of Stephen Ross and ownership in Miami, and then all of a sudden they dropped this bomb earlier today. What's the impact of this announcement? Well, the impact has not yet been uh, uh, seen, uh, although everybody is speculating about it. The one good thing about the Brady camp is that other than that you know, leak a week early, uh, weekend early about retiring. I think they do everything in a very contrived way, not negative, all positive. And I think Tom Brady is, is a, has marvelous awareness of his brand. Mm-hmm. So let's see what's next. I, I do know this. Five years from now, I'm going to be watching Tom Brady make history, and it may be on the football field, but it also <laughs> may not be. Rick Harrell, as we wrap it up, so we're in COVID still. COVID numbers are spiking again. Some people don't want to talk about that, but it has an effect on how we stay home or watch sports, or now we're beginning to go out. And with the NBA ratings and hockey ratings, but I'll lead with the NBA, there's no LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. So when you look at who's not in the NBA playoffs – how can the ratings be up? Where are the numbers here? What are they trending for with the teams that are remaining? And some of these teams aren't big-name teams. By the way, Cal, I'm watching the NBA precisely because those four guys are not in it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, want, you know, I want to see some passing. I want to see some teamwork. I want to see some selflessness, not selfishness. And, you know, John Morant, that, that, series, that series is incredible. I was up in Boston to see the, uh, the uh, 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 Nets uh, – uh, absolutely get blown away by the Celtics. And now the Celtics-Bucks is one of the best series ever, you know, as is the Sun series. So I think the fact that it's not the household repeating names adds to the value of NBA ratings this year. And should hockey ratings go up here with TNT and ESPN's involvement here? I still see it getting buried a lot. A lot of fans are looking at it, but the diehard hockey fans know how to find the, know how to find the sport and they know when it's on. And ESPN knows how to emphasize stuff and knows how to bury and now they're emphasizing they're not burying so even if they're buried in some context you know maybe they're buried in vegas because uh you know your team isn't in the playoffs yeah. I, I, it's kind of too bad um too much success too early maybe they'll be back but i do think that the ratings having seen a couple of games here in florida this weekend uh, uh live uh hockey's alive and well in the sunbelt to be sure rick harrell last one the great sports professor 
I don't know how much you're di- diving into it. I'd love to see some analysis with you down the road on name, image, and likeness. Now that the NCAA is trying to put some, I don't know, some rules into effect, this is out of control. I think there's going to be white-collar crime, corporate greed. I think it's going to tear up not every locker room, some locker rooms and some programs here. We're in the wild, wild west of name, image, and likeness. You've written books on sports business. I know you're going to document this. Does this look like a juicy topic going forward where it's just going to be complete chaos for the next five years? It's totally juicy, pal. You know, when, uh, <laughs> when the former or to-be former President Emmert says, all right, we're going to allow you to be paid. Don't worry about the details. We'll let you know in a year and a half. <laughs> well, a year and a half comes last July. Well, we're going to punt it down the road. You guys figure it all out. Now, what's the metaphor? The toothpaste back in the genie, back in the bottle, the hay's out of the barn, the horse is out of the hay. I have no idea. I've heard so many metaphors that describe it's too late for regulations. I don't know what to do. But you can't say all of a sudden corporations should be penalized because they're paying athletes in a way that you're allowing them to do with the free market. The only protection I think that's going to happen is the individual contracts and the marketing themselves. If the athlete signs something, he doesn't perform, you've got to treat him like any other, I hate it to say it, but any other professional. Thank you, my friend. Great to talk to you about the business side of sports, and I hope to see you real soon as always. Take care, buddy. We, we'll do it soon. All right, see you. That's Rick Harrell, the sports professor, who is literally one of the most connected sports businessmen out there with all the commissioners that he knows, everybody he's involved with sports with. The F1 deal, everybody, is a big, big story. The F1 story is a monster. It's coming at you like the World Cup does. Please get involved with it. Why wouldn't you want to get involved with World Cup soccer, F1, all these big events just to put on a a nice shirt and have a cocktail and bring your significant other to a big party? I mean, what are we doing here? We've been stuck in COVID for over two years. You get an opportunity to go to Monday Night Football, F1. Whatever the event is, European soccer, whatever it is, my wife and I are heading to the Rolling Stones in Europe, Liverpool and Amsterdam. Why? Because we can, and we want to get out of here, and we want to get out of COVID and travel. Go to where the memories are. Go find the memories. And this F1 thing is a monster. It's only going to get bigger. Watch the Netflix documentary. Get up to speed on the drivers where the races are, the teams, Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, understand it. So when it comes to your city or if it's on, you can tune it on and go, wow, man, I, I know that. I'm, I'm rooting for that driver. I said this about NASCAR a long time ago. All you got to do to become a NASCAR fan is pick a driver. That's it. Pick a driver that you like, get behind the driver, and then start going to races. When I went to NASCAR for the first time, my mentor, Andrew Ashwood, I mentioned him always. I wrote my book, The Handoff, about the impact that he had on his life. He took me to the Daytona 500. We waited outside the Daytona 500. He looked at me and he said, yeah, babe. He said, hey, bud, pick a driver. I said, what? He goes, you can't go in there without a driver. I picked Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yeah, it was low-hanging fruit. It's not like he won a lot. Jr. did not win a lot. If you look at it, he won some big races, but he wasn't Tony Stewart. He wasn't Jeff Gordon. I bought the Jr. hat. I went in there with a couple hundred thousand people, and it changed my life. I said, this is the perfect sport to get me to NFL season. I'll watch it, and now I like it. And now I'm watching F1. My wife and I are watching the documentary. 702-365-9200 as we wrap it up. 
Really interesting show today. I enjoyed talking to Larry Brown. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Newest member of the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. The NFL schedule release is coming up. We had Rick Harrow on. Olden Polonese, great to talk to him. All the guests that we have on this show, we greatly appreciate their time. Big shows the rest of the week. Again, I'm off on Friday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, Monday and Tuesday is the Bolitnikoff Golf Event, the Hall of Fame Golf Classic at Canyon Gate. So it's a big Sunday night event, Monday night gala. If you're going to it, thank you. If you haven't been able to go to it, you'd like to make a donation, find out what's happening, go to bolitnikoff.org and find out all about that. And on the back end of next week, I fly to Chicago to see Mike Ditka. And I hope I'm going to see Coach Ditka again, but he summoned me back to Chicago for his gala. I'm going to emcee that. Brian Erlacher, Jack Youngblood, Warwick Dunn. I mean, it, it's going to be an amazing group of people that I get the chance to introduce and hang out with Coach Ditka. And that's really important to me, too. Hope you enjoyed the show, everybody. Q's on deck. Vinny Bonsignor after that. They give you pure Raider contact. Oh, happy birthday to Clay Baker. Clay's a friend of mine. I have more friends in life than radio friends for a reason. Clay's a real friend. He showed up on my Facebook birthdays today when I got up very early today. So I was able to hear him and Heidi and Clay. Happy birthday to Clay Baker, our morning guy. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Thanks to everybody who listens to the show. Can't thank you enough, and thanks to all of our partners here on Raider Nation Radio. Have a great race, uh, rest of the day, everybody. I'm on Sirius XM 82, 7 to 10 p.m. You can find me there tonight. If not, we'll catch you back here tomorrow.